Loaded Bases, we are back. Super excited to release all this new content. And for the first one, so started out with a uh, small world kind of scenario. So with, so I was talking to uh, Luke Thompson, so he's from the Yakima Herald, and uh, he actually reached out to my next guest uh, for me, and he said that he's an absolute perfect person to have on the podcast, very unique story, and I 100% agree with him after talking to him. So, without further ado, Craig Masoni. Loaded bases. How's it going? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I'm glad that we finally came to a uh, time that we could talk. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. So, so what do you do right now? Like, like what, what's your current job status? Yeah, great question. Uh, so I, for the last uh, almost year and a half now, I've been employed by the Cleveland Indians. Um, I'm in our player development staff. Um, my job more specifically is a minor league affiliate hitting coach. So this coming year, I'll be working with our rookie level hitters out in Goodyear. I'm really excited about that level. Um, but, you know, I'm one of several guys within the organization. We have hitting coaches at every level. Yep. Um, we obviously have a ton of analysts and directors and things like that that help out. The hitting staff's pretty large, but uh, I'm one of the people on the ground um, every day with the players in the dugout in the cage and, um, you know, just trying to help those guys any way that I can. They're all on that journey to the major leagues and, uh, you know, just kind of fortunate to be a part of it. Yeah, it, it's it's a definitely not a direct journey to get into the bigs. There's a lot of stuff that goes in with it. Yeah. So, yeah, so how did you, I guess, so how did you get involved in – baseball I guess like what's your what's your story yeah um <laughs> I mean I guess I guess the real question is how how far back do you want me to go uh let's see well I'm looking at I have your baseball reference pulled up uh oh and <laughs> so okay so you played okay uh, so what year did you graduate uh high school so I was a 2010 graduate um from Tandemone Valley High School in Danville California so then how did you get into like, I mean, like professional baseball, how did that journey yeah. start? Yeah, that's a, that's a cool question. Um, you know, it, it's something that I dreamed about for sure as a kid, um, like a lot of kids, I guess. And, and I have, you know, my dad and, and my brothers to thank for that. And, you know, we just kind of play together a lot in the backyard. And I think early on, that was just something that I had a real passion to do. Um, and, and I think when I was really young, I was, I was pretty good, um, you know, little league and all that fun stuff. And then I went through kind of a rough patch where I was physically behind a lot of the kids I was playing with. Um, particularly, I look back at like, like my freshman year in high school, I, I was barely good enough to be on the team. I never played. Um, I was told by a coach at that point that, that I probably shouldn't play anymore. He basically told me that I had no chance to play. Um, and you know, that's one of those moments. And I was, I was a young man and, and you have a decision to make, right. You yeah, can either, oh, yeah. you can either buy into that or, or you can choose to do something. And, and I chose to try and do something. And, um, I kind of transformed my body. I had a, had a ton of help, um, worked really hard, um, got stronger. Luckily I, I kind of started to physically develop at that time as well. Mm. Um, turned myself into a decent high school baseball player. Um, and was fortunate to get an opportunity to go play um, at the junior college level because I was kind of a late bloomer. 
I really wasn't on anyone's radar. Um, so I was recruited to go play at Chabot College uh, for Steve Friend and, and Will Tavis was the guy. Those are the two guys that recruited me. Steve Friend, longtime head coach over there. Uh, two guys that I'm still really close with. Uh, two guys that I have a ton of respect for that have done a ton, not only for me in my baseball career, but kind of helping shape who I've become as a man. Um, and I think that's really important to them. And I, I'm certainly grateful for that and something that I've kept with me now as a coach. Um, but spent a couple of years there. Like I said, that was uh, not too far from where I grew up. I actually commuted. I, I lived at home with my parents. Um, so I didn't have the traditional uh, going away to college as a hey, freshman, it sophomore. Saves, it saves money. It, it did save some money for sure. <laughs> I know we're, uh, we're grateful for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, that was kind of like a welcome to adulthood. I, I started to look, I think at that point in my life, when I was 18, 19 years old, um, I started to look at baseball as a profession and I started to treat it like a professional, um, in the sense that every decision that I made revolved around that, um, decisions I made in my social life and my personal life. Um, all revolved around that. I did that for two years, and then I was fortunate, um, kind of just by chance, my my roommate at the time, or my roommate that would have been my roommate when I moved out to Tennessee, he was getting recruited by a school in Tennessee that I had never heard of, Austin Peay State University. Yeah. Um, they came out to check on him, and I was fortunate enough to have, have a pretty good day uh, when they came out, and a uh, guy by the name of Joel Manger, who's actually a co-worker of mine now, ironically enough, wow. um, the guy that saw me and recruited me. And I got to go out there and, and play for uh, play for a great program. I got to play in a nationally ranked program. Um, we had a great season. Um, I was able to do some things that year. I was really fortunate to be surrounded by the coaches, uh, Gary McClure, Derek Dunbar, Joe Lincoln. Those were the guys that, that kind of helped with Joel and uh, – you know, I had some great teammates. And like I said, I was able to have a good year and yeah. caught the attention of a, a scout for the San Francisco Giants by the name of Hugh Walker. Um, and they took me that year um, in 2013 in the summer. And that was the team that I grew up cheering for. So that was a pretty surreal day for not only me, but I think my entire family, my grandpa, my dad, uh, my mom, my brothers, my grandparents. It, it was it was really, really pretty cool. So that was kind of what led up to my introduction to professional baseball. Yeah, see, I mean, that's like baseball is definitely a game of numbers and averages. And your average on that day that they saw you just, I mean, it's it's crazy like how that works. Yeah, it, it's, you know, and I've, <laughs> it's just kind of funny how those things work out. Like you said, like it, it's, it was such a chance. And, and like I said, at the time, like full disclosure, like I didn't know what Austin P was like I had never yeah. heard them I was a California kid um, and and what a blessing it was um, to get to go out there and ironically enough Nashville's become home for not only me but but my family as well and I think that was kind of our introduction to that area so yeah like you said man it's funny how those things work out um, it certainly worked out well for us and I'm super grateful for for that opportunity so yeah so you got drafted the 33rd round in 2013 how I guess, how did that process go? Oof. Man, that's a, <laughs> that's a stressful couple of days, um, for I sure. Bet. You know, for anyone that's not familiar with the draft, the baseball drafts spread out over basically a weekend. Yep. Um, of course, we're going through some restructuring now, um, so it'll be different. But 
you know, back in those days, it was, it was 40 rounds um, and it was spread out over three days. And, you know, the first day is, is your, you know, for, I think it's first round and supplemental, I believe maybe yep. the second round as well. Um, and then, so I knew I wasn't getting drafted that day. Um, <laughs> I knew that wasn't what was about to happen. Um, second day is like rounds two through 10. Um, you know, I, it just depended on who you, who you listened to. I, I yeah. had some people telling me that that was a possibility. Um, and then, you know, the third day is the rest. So they're just kind of ripping them off at that point. Um, and so I was getting ready. I, you know, I had just finished my junior year. So I had an opportunity to go back to school. Um, if that's what I chose to do, or if the draft didn't work out. Um, so they had set me up to go play summer ball up in Vermont. So I actually drove from Clarksville, Tennessee, which is where Austin P is. And I was driving up to Vermont and I had some family in Pennsylvania, um, some extended family. And so I stopped with them to wait out the draft because if mm -hmm. I didn't get drafted, I was just going to keep on driving basically and go play summer ball. Um, so I spent a couple of nights at their house. I got a call the night after day two um, from Hugh Walker, um, the scout that I mentioned before that, that ended up drafting me. Mm -hmm. and who's just like hey man you ready to go and I'm like yeah dude like I've been ready to go for like <laughs> hours I've, <laughs> I've just been sitting here he's like all right like tomorrow's your day I'm like okay you know so it starts out around 10 and I'm just watching this thing go and go and go and I and I had watched my my college teammate uh, one of my best friends Tyler Rogers who's up in the big leagues with the Giants now another Austin P guy I had watched him go at the end of of day two and I was pumped for him and I'm like man maybe we'll get to be teammates again like this is awesome and like you're just watching all these picks get rattled off and rattled off and it's like it's just agonizing you're like yeah. man. um finally got the call um I I I can't really describe it to be honest <laughs> like I I just remember calling my dad and and calling my mom and um you know just them being really proud and and me being really proud as well and happy. I would have been happy to get a chance to play no matter what. Um, the fact that it was the team that I grew up cheering for. Yeah, see, that's, that part is cool. Yeah, it I was. I could not imagine that one. That. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was pretty cool. It, it was pretty surreal. Um, just another day that I'm super grateful for, another mm -hmm. day that I'll never forget. Um, and, and, you know, that, that happened, and I was in Pennsylvania, and I got on a plane the next morning, like, really, really early. Um, flew back and spent like 24 hours with my parents. And then the next day I was, I was in Scottsdale getting ready to, to go to camp and, um, and get ready to play and, and got my introduction to the world of professional baseball. So how nervous were you showing up to spring training for the first time? Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't even know, like, so it's weird. Like the draft happens in June, right? So spring yeah. training's already happened. So. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, so the, the nerves are, I don't know, like, I don't remember the nerves being that significant at that point because everyone that's there is in the same boat as you. And like at that time, like you have to have a certain edge to you as a professional athlete to, you know, believe that you belong. And I did, like, I, I certainly had that edge. And um, I, but I do think my first spring training, like that is maybe when the nerves kick in a little bit because now <laughs> the whole organization's there. You see the big dogs uh, there too. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember, I remember walking by field one, one day at the giants complex um, and seeing Madison Bumgarner throwing a flat ground. And I'm like, his arms look like they're 19 feet long <laughs> and he's just, yep. and, and like, that's a guy that you've watched on TV and he's done yeah. some pretty cool things. And uh, yeah. And, and you know what, honestly, and, and I tell this to my guys now, like 
the guys that I coach now, like the, the biggest thing that I think you have to try and do as a young player at spring training is like, try not to play GM. Like that's not your job. Like mm-hmm. you have no control over what's going to happen. Um, all you can do is, is take care of your business and, and let the chips fall where they may. And that was something I really struggled with as a young player. Cause I'm, I'm looking around and I'm trying to figure out where I fit, right? Like, it's like a puzzle. You're, you're looking around, you're like, well, that guy's going to go here. So where does that leave me? Like he was a higher draft pick than me. And like, that's a hard thing to, to try not to do. Um, and I think that's where the nerves came from is, is understanding that like, I have no control really over where I go. Um, and ultimately I landed that, that first spring training and extended, which is where you don't want to be. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I think to answer your question, that's when the nerves kicked in. I think yeah. that first summer I, I was really confident and, and happy with where I was at. So good. Yeah. It, it, I mean, so, I mean, like if I say if I was in your spot and then I, was drafted by a team that I absolutely loved. I, I think I would probably feel the same way. It would, it would almost be like, I want to worry about the big club because that's like how it would been like for the past years because you're a fan of them, but you're actually employed by them and you can't really worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it was cool too. I still remember like, you know, cause I, like I said, I, I lived in the Bay area at that time and yeah. I remember going to the airport and uh, to fly to spring training and then even getting into, into Phoenix airport. And, you know, you see people walking around with, with like giants hats and giant shirts at that time. And um, you know, it's kind of a surreal moment. You're like, man, like that's who I'm employed by. And that, that's really cool. Um, and there's a, there's a ton of pride that goes with that. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm super grateful for that opportunity. It, it didn't, and where I had dreamt that it would, um, it didn't last maybe as long as I had hoped that it would. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I believe that things happen for a reason. Exactly. And uh, I think that a lot of those trials and stuff kind of led me to, to where I am today and, and who I am now. And, you know, and that'll continue to happen. I'll continue to grow, hopefully. Yeah. So there's, I mean, so there's a lot of talk like about like the minor leagues being like, there's a lot to go with the minor leagues that people don't even realize. I, so, so my first job, so I actually was a bat boy for the Yakima bears and I believe the Yak, I think, I, I believe Yakima was still in low a maybe when you played for Salem, I think. I, I, you know what? I, I don't think so, but you could, I was in that league for like two weeks and then I got promoted. So you could be right. Damn. So yeah, they, cause 2014, well, cause Yakima went, they got sold to Hillsborough. Hillsborough. That was Hillsborough's first year in the league. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So that was, I mean, yeah. So funny story on that one. So there was uh so a guy that I was talking to, um, when I was a bad boy for them back in like 2000, it was like 2009. It, I was actually his bad boy. It was just like a small world. And then like we started talking and then he was just like, holy shit. Like, I remember you, <laughs> but no, I mean, and then, I mean, like all the stories, like from the miners, I mean, like what, what would be the craziest thing that you can say on this? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean like that you were just like 
I'm in the minor leagues. This like, is this worth it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I think uh, my mind immediately goes to some of the living situations. Mm. Um, like, you know, I mean, you hear stories, right. And like, I had some great host families too, which is kind of like a hard thing to explain to people that don't work in sports. Cause like yeah. the concept of a host family is kind of strange, but I had some really good ones. Um, but like, even like apartment living, like we had, I'm trying to remember when I was in Augusta, we had, I think four or five of us in like a two bedroom apartment. Oh, damn. Yeah. Like I had a mattress, I had a mattress out in the main area where like there should be a dining room table if we were like normal adults. Um, <laughs> so I slept in the Myers. Yeah, no, I mean, and then like some of the food, like, you know, I remember sometimes we'd go in the we'd go in the locker room after like a day game on a getaway day and they'd have like a rotisserie chicken for us and whoever sat next to us on the bus. And it was just, we just get on the bus and just be like eating rotisserie chickens, like with our bare hands and like, yeah, it's just like weird stuff like that. And then like the funny part about the minor leagues, like when you're having like, when you're in a slump, right. And like you go to a town and they've got like some mega fan or something. And like, they're just saying like the meanest stuff to you. And you're like, man, (laughs) why did I choose this? Like they're saying stuff about me, about my, my mom, my brother. I'm like, man, like this is brutal. But I I look back on that stuff now. And and again, like it, part of it's funny, right? Like it's kind of funny. Um, number two, I think I grew from it. And and number three, and most importantly, and I, I try and convey this to my current players. Like that's the kind of stuff that I, I, I hope helps me in my profession now. Right. Because I'm a hitting coach now, but there's so much more, to what these guys go through than just learning how to hit. Like we have to connect with them on a human level as well. Like at the end of the day, they have to trust me. Like if they don't trust me and trust that, you know, my mind is, is with their best interest, then it really doesn't matter. So me being able to convey some of that um, hopefully helps to build that relationship that like, Hey man, like, you know, this terrible hotel you're staying in, like I've done that before and I'm going to stay in it with you now on this trip too. Uh, but yeah, like immediately my mind goes to things like that. Just, just late sleepless nights and terrible hotels and five guys in a two bedroom apartment. And, and but it's fun though, right? Like it, it's kind of like a fraternity. Like I have, yes. I made, yeah. I made such good friends, um, people that I still stay in touch with, people that I'm still really close with, because it, it's a bond that's kind of hard to explain unless you've done it. And I think yeah. you get a certain element of that at the college level as well. Like that, I don't think that's exclusive to professional baseball. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like from my, I guess, like from like my journey. So playing at a JUCO level, I mean, I, I probably talk to them more than I talk to anyone else. Yep. I mean, like even like to this day. Yeah. And it just, I mean, there was. Let's see, what is it like? I lived off of like fifty <clears throat> bucks a month, so I had yeah. to like stretch all of that, but I did not care because. I mean, I had fun and then like everything that I look back on, it was worth it. hundred percent. Juco bandits, man. Dude, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it was a blast. Yeah. But it, it's yeah. like, I mean, I mean, the minor leagues, like it's an absolute grind. Like you gotta, you gotta want it. Yeah. And, and I, I tell people that a lot too. Like I'm, I'm, like I said, super grateful for my time at Austin P, but um, I would not have had any of the opportunities that I've had 
um, as a player or a coach had it not been for my time at junior college. Like I grew a ton. Um, that that's, I think where I really learned how to work. Um, and and I think this is a hard thing for people to wrap their mind around. You know, we're told as kids that, you know, you work hard and you get the things that you want. Right. And I think what junior college did for me is it kind of took me out of that, like any sort of victim mentality. Yep. Um, and it taught me that like, you basically, you work hard to get an opportunity to have the things that you want. Like nothing's guaranteed, like hard work doesn't guarantee you anything. And, and I think that's an important lesson for young men and women to learn. Like, I don't think that's an easy lesson to learn. Um, but I do think it's an important one. Like just because you worked hard and did things the right way, like things aren't always going to go your way. And when they don't, then you're faced with a decision. You can either find a way to make it work and try again or you can feel sorry for yourself, right? So like yeah. that was, I think, the most important thing that I learned and something that I'm eternally grateful for. Um, the guys that I mentioned earlier, Steve Friend and Will Tavis, uh, my coaches that that really instilled that in me. And that's something that I've taken into my adult life for sure. So yeah, there's, I mean, I mean, like it's also like a kid's or also like as, as being a kid and in like high school, like you always want to, go straight to like d1 d2 but juco teaches you a lot more lessons i feel like yeah. what i've i mean i mean from like what i've learned and look man like like i've been on both ends right like yeah. i'm a juco product i'm i'm loyal to that level but i've also coached at the division one level and like look there are kids that are ready to go play division one baseball and like I'm not here to tell you that if you get an opportunity to go play division one baseball at a high school that you shouldn't do it. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but I, think, I would do it. Yeah. Like I think, but some people look and I used to tell people that, right. And like, they would get offended to a certain degree. Like if I would say, I think your kid should go play Juco and they're like, well, and they take it as an insult. Like it's not an insult. Like it's a great opportunity and that's just kind of where you're at physically. Right. Or maybe that's where you're at academically. Like people forget about the academic portion. Like I learned a ton. I actually was way more at peace with, you know, the way it worked out for me in the recruiting process as a player after I got on the coaching side of it. And I had some really good mentors on the recruiting side when I was working in college. Um, And all of a sudden I started looking back at my own career. I'm like, Oh, like, okay, that makes sense. Like yeah. that's probably why I ended up at Jugo because I had like a 2.4 in high school. Like <laughs> it, all makes, it all makes sense now. So, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, so do you, do you know where uh, uh, Lewis and Clark State is? It's in uh, yeah. Lewis and Idaho, Idaho right? Yeah. 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 So I have um, like, so actually quite a few of my buddies. So they, um, so they didn't have the best grades but they were like D one ready for sports. Yeah. I mean, for baseball. Yeah. So then it's so like a lot of them, like from up here, go to LC state for sure. And they just like run through teams. Yeah. They're good. I, I had some, uh, some Juco teammates actually that, that landed up there. So yeah. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, uh, so our coaches in college were from there and, or like, so they played there like when they played in college. So their mentality was it was it was wild man i mean it was i mean like we weren't like allowed to wear like batting gloves i mean we did everything that they did just because it toughened them up and it was just it was rough but now look back at it worth it yeah 
Yeah, it's it's all about it's all about culture, man. Like oh, that, yeah, exactly. That, that to me is the coolest thing about sports is like um, the atmospheres and the cultures that you get to be around. Like it, that that's the coolest part to me. And like you know whatever does it for you. Like I'm not necessarily one that's gonna tell my guys not to wear batting gloves or or whatever. But if that's your thing <laughs> and that's your culture, then like more power to you, right? Like everyone's got to find their own culture. And I think the most important thing about cultivating culture is it has to be authentic. Like yeah. you're, I think kids are, kids are smarter than, than we give them credit for sometimes. And like, in my case, they're, they're young adults, right? Like if you're being inauthentic in your leadership style, I, I think they see right through that. And then I think that that kind of kills your culture. So um, yeah. So, I mean, whatever, whatever's authentic to who you are as a leader, that becomes a reflection of your program and, and that ultimately becomes your culture. So, so how, how did you get into coaching now? So like, how did your career playing end and then therefore go into coaching? Yeah. So, uh, I spent all in all, I spent five years playing professional baseball, um, two and a half of those with the giants and two and a half to three seasons of independent baseball. So, uh, spent a couple of years with the giants. I was like, you know, this, cause you said you pulled up my baseball reference earlier. I was a, a very, very average, um, professional baseball player. I, I was a corner guy, so I was there to hit. Um, I hit a little bit, not enough. I hit some home runs some years, and some years I didn't hit enough. So um, spent a couple of years with the Giants, got released. That was tough. I think that's like the flip side of the coin. Like, yeah. it, it's really cool to get drafted by your hometown team, right? Like, that's a cool experience, and I don't mean to belittle that at all. But I think the part that people forget is that I also got fired by the team that I <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> grew up cheering for. And that's hard, right? Like, I was a young man. I was 20. 23 years old, I believe when that happened. So I was young and, oh, and yeah. I, I didn't, I think the hardest part was I didn't see it coming. Like I, I felt like that. I felt personally ready for a breakout year. Like I felt like I had a really good off season. I really liked where I was at. Um, and I got cut at the end of spring training. So, so that was tough. Um, wasn't sure if I wanted to keep playing uh, the giants farm director at that time who let me go. Um, he kind of encouraged me to keep playing and they helped kind of put me in contact with some independent ball teams, but they were like, yeah. Hey man, like if you don't want to play, give us a call. We can look into player development or scouting or whatever. And I said, yeah, okay. I'll let you know. Uh, went and played, had kind of a rough road in any ball. Um, <laughs> starting out, I, I signed with one team. I played in the frontier league, uh, which is mostly in the yeah. Midwest. Um, signed with one team. Uh, it just didn't work out. A lot of what they told me in the contract negotiations just, ended up not really coming to fruition. Um, I was told one thing and then another thing happened and ultimately ended up going and asking for my release from that team uh, shortly after the season began. Got my release um, after they put me on the, the Phantom DL for a couple weeks. Um, went to another team, thought I was done playing, got a call like in the middle of the night from a team in Ohio. Um, they asked me to come play and I said, sure, why not? Showed up, played for a couple weeks with them, um, got traded unexpectedly. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know, actually, I did not know that you could get traded in indie ball. Oh, yeah, you can. I, I did um, not know that. Yeah, so and you can get traded in between leagues, too. So, like, for in my case, it was within the same league. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I got traded to a team called the Gateway Grizzlies. Um, and I just remember being really down at that time and, and having a hard time and not, again, just not knowing if I wanted, like you said, like there's got to be moments where you question if you want to do this anymore. And like yeah. that was certainly one of those moments. I had, I had been released twice and traded in a span of like 
three months. Um, and so I remember packing my car. I was right outside like the Cleveland area kind of. And I remember packing my car and I knew I was going to start driving west because I was either going to drive to St. Louis and play mm. or I was just going to keep going and go to California and, and get a job, right? Like I, yeah. I wasn't totally sure. Made the decision a couple hours into the drive that I'd give it a try. Uh, got there, ended up liking it um, a decent amount when I got there and met, met some good guys. And I think, gosh, I don't remember what game it was. It was like my third or fourth game like it was really early um I pulled my hamstring Ooh. and so then I'm on the DL so I missed like six weeks and I'm like man came back had a good finish to the year ended up spending two and a half years um there really enjoyed it and then I decided that 2017 would be my last year I just I just kind of felt like I was just spinning my tires at that point I still enjoyed playing but um I could see the writing on the wall is 25 years old uh, stuck in any ball. I, you know, I didn't have any experience playing above a ball. Um, so I decided that was my last year, <laughs> about a month into that season, got traded again, unexpectedly. Um, so I ended up in, uh, Marion, Illinois, right outside of Carbondale, um, in Southern Illinois with the miners and, uh, Mike Pinto, who runs the show over there, who's a great guy. Um, he, I'd played against him for years. So I knew Mike a little bit and, mm -hmm. Um, I think truthfully, I think he likes me mostly just because I'm Italian and he's Italian. So I think hey. that was the connection there. But but yeah, so I finished my career there. Super grateful for that organization. They brought me in and, and I felt really at home there at a time in my career where I probably wasn't ready for a change of scenery, didn't really want one. Um, but they brought me in and, and I made some really good friends there as well. Um, but just decided at the end of that year that I didn't want to play anymore, um, but that I wanted to stay in baseball. So started looking around. Um, you know, wasn't super interested in doing the private sector stuff full time. Um, wanted to stay at, at, you know, more advanced levels uh, with older people. And, you know, just kind of started scouring job boards and, and things like that. And I sent out several feelers um, to programs that I was either somewhat familiar with or were a part of the country that I wanted to work in or that had posted a job. And I think I sent out like six or seven of them you know, got no reply from like three or four of them. Got a, you know, we'll see where we're at in a couple months from a couple of them. And, you know, so I was just like, man, I don't know if it's going to work out. Yep. And I remember sitting at a hotel in Florence, Kentucky, my last year of pro ball. Um, one of those disaster hotels that I was mentioning earlier where like <laughs> the air conditioning units like got tinfoil on it and it's frozen. And uh, yeah. Um, and I remember uh, kind of looking over the ABCA job boards and, and Arkansas State University um, had a job opening. They were looking for a volunteer that could that could help with their infielders and, and assist with the offense, which is kind of what I did. And so I put out a put out my application there. And, you know, I, I just kind of had a good feeling about it when I did it. I don't know why, because nobody else was emailing me back at that time. So but yeah. um, I just had a good feeling and I, I got a call. <laughs> Ironically enough, a, a couple of days later from a guy named Rowdy Hardy, who is, I know that's a great name. Outstanding <laughs> name. I, I love that. Yeah. One of, one of my good friends Rowdy now, um, one of the mentors I spoke about earlier, he's also an Austin P alumni. He's in the hall of fame over there. He's oh, wow. legendary. Yeah. He pitched at the AAA and he called me and it was like the funniest, like job interview type thing I've ever had. <laughs> like, he kind of, he told me who he was. We talked about Clarksville and Austin P a little bit. We had that in common. And 
And then he kind of finished it with like, all right, well, you know, I just, we saw your application and, and my boss, Coach Raffo, asked me to call you and, and basically just, just make sure you're not a jerk. Like he used probably worse language than that. But um, <laughs> he said, so I'll let him know that you're all right and he's going to give you a call tomorrow. I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, so oh, that nice. was like, that, yeah, that was like the first interview. And then Coach Raffo called me the next day and, and we had a good conversation. And um, next, the next week after that, I, he asked me to come up and check it out. And uh, so I drove in on an off day and saw the campus and he just laid it out for me, man. He's like, look, like, he's like, we can't offer you a lot financially. Like, that's just kind of the way it goes at the division one level with the volunteer coach, which, you know, that's a whole nother issue that baseball's got to figure out at some point. But mm -hmm. uh, he said, you know, I can give you an opportunity to, to come in and work. And, and I said, you know, that's, that's really all I want. I was in a position where through all my years in the minor leagues, I had, I had learned how to stretch not a lot of money. Yep. Um, so I was ready for that. And, and Juco, you know, I, that's the same thing. No man. doubt. Juco. No doubt. So I, I got hooked up over there. Um, Coach Raffo brought me on and, and I started, started that fall. And um, like I said, it, it kind of began with me mostly working with the infielders and just mm. kind of dipping my feet in the water with the hitters a little bit. So yeah, because it, it, it builds your resume. I'm like that, that alone shows that you volunteered to coach so therefore yeah. later on it'll help out yeah and he's he's been around for a long time and he's you know anyone that you talk to um that knows him has nothing but good things to say just just an outstanding guy um family man and and, and he was a volunteer himself and he you know he he's had an outstanding career he, he was a volunteer at mississippi state where he played um, and worked his way into a full-time position and, and now has been a head coach for, I believe, 13 years. So, wow. um, you know, he's, he's proof that you can do it. Right. I, I think to me, like the volunteer role to a certain extent, is kind of like a weeding out process. Like how hard are you yes. willing to work to show that you really want to do this and that you belong. And, and that's ultimately what I decided that I wanted to do. Could, could you kind of compare like the vault, I guess, could you compare like the volunteering work that as being in the minor leagues like with the pay uh honestly it's worse <laughs> so it, it that's a tricky question to answer because it depends on the spot so it, it comes from camp money so like the large revenue schools like sec schools for example um their volunteers probably do significantly better because they bring in a lot more money through camps but the university oh, yeah. can't give you any money um, at a smaller school like Arkansas State, um, you know, it was it was stipends. I was living on stipends, and that's kind of how volunteers live. I'd, I'd get a stipend at the beginning of the first semester and a stipend at the beginning of the second semester, and then anything else that I made was was up to me. And, um, you know, I say that, but I, I had some help. Like Coach Raffo would, would kind of help me uh, run some extra camps to make some money. Uh, mm -hmm. One of my other mentors and really good friends who was the recruiting coordinator over there, uh, Rick Guarno, he, he was awesome with that as well because he was a volunteer at Little Rock before he got into his full-time gigs. And um, so he kind of helped me figure out, like, you know, do this, do that. And then they'd also kind of hook me up with some camps that were off campus that, like, people that were looking for help so I could go work. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's a lot, man. It, it's it's not an easy way to make a living. Um, you know, I, I estimate. You got to love it. Yeah, yeah people, people that don't coach will probably think I'm crazy. People that listen to this and do coach, they'll <laughs> nod their head and be like, yeah, that's about right. I mean, I estimate, you know, we were working 
60 to 80 hours a week sometimes if you count the amount of time you spend on the bus. Yep. Um, and, you know, the financial reward just isn't there. Again, it's, it's how badly do you want to do this? Like, are you willing to pay your dues and wait your turn, right? It just wasn't my turn. And I, you know, I, I'm grateful for that time now. I think I, I learned a lot. Um, both as a coach and as as a man so yeah I mean like the stories that like I've learned in baseball I mean like I've still I mean I still are with me every day and that's just how I am gonna go forward yeah I mean and that's why I enjoy doing like the baseball podcast stuff is because it's more than just what's on the field there's so much more like behind the scenes and well, people and, don't and, understand and I think that. I think for me, it, it transcends baseball too. Like there's so many things that have happened in my personal life, um, in my family life, things like that, that some of the lessons that you learn, as stupid as it sounds, whether that be through practice or, or through, you know, the games and the adversities and all that stuff, like it really does like in a weird way kind of prepare you for that. Like some stuff happens and nothing can really totally prepare you for it. Um, but you know, I, I think it points you in the right direction and I help, you know, I hate using like cliche terms, like building character and things like that. But, um, but I do think like as a coach now, when I look at my job, like that's a big part of my job. Like my job to me is a lot more than teaching guys how to hit, right? Like that's obviously a super important part. Like if I suck at teaching guys how to hit, like I'm probably not going to have a job, but like. I do think it's important that we help them become better men too. And that sounds super cliche, but you know, it's a hundred percent true. 100% yeah. I think if, if you don't have that mindset in this profession, I just think you're kind of in it for the wrong reasons to a certain extent. And don't get me wrong. I, I love teaching the hitting. Yeah. Um, I I'm super competitive. I love to win. That's all super important to me as well. Uh, but again, like there's certain things that kind of transcend the game. So. Yeah. It's, I mean, like, probably my like so my mentors like still are like past coaches I mean just because the way that they went about coaching and showing that there's more than just a game of baseball I mean there's so much more to it and I mean like the bus trips like with teammates I mean I have countless of stories and they just like every time, like I think, be, yeah. So you're laughing like like that. I mean, it, it's just yeah. like, dude. There's so many things that like bring baseball players together. Yeah, for sure. So growing up, who was your favorite player? Watching. Oh no, oh, that's easy. That was Barry Bonds for sure. Yes, sir. I know that's like persona non grata for some in Major League Baseball, but no, nah, he was he was the best and um, steroids save baseball. That's just yeah. firmly say. <laughs> I, I, I won't, I won't, <laughs> I won't get into that argument. We'll, we'll leave that one alone. Uh, <laughs> but I just think, you know, he was just, I, I, as someone who studies the game, obviously yeah. pretty intensely now with what I do for a living. Uh, I mean, we have so many, so many great young ambassadors for our game now. Like it's really exciting to see this, this wave, this generation of players that are coming through now. But I mean, Barry Bonds, like it was like everyone in the stadium, stopped like when he came up to bat like everything stopped yep. and I still remember being at the game when I was a kid I couldn't tell you how old I was I don't remember what year it was but I remember I was there and the Giants were playing the Dodgers and it was back in the day when Eric Gagne was like the man and oh, were you at the uh like at 
Oh, no way. Yeah, I was at that game. We were about to leave. So this is a perfect example of what I mean, like the impact that Barry Bonds had. Like, so my dad, bless his heart. Um, <laughs> like, it was like, he would take us to games all the time. Like, he was a great dad. He took really good care of us. Whenever his company would get tickets, we would go. And I have two younger brothers and we would go a lot. And like, so I was like halfway in that generation where I grew up going to games at Candlestick and then they opened the new ballpark when I was yeah. like, probably right before I became a teenager. And so like Barry Bonds was part of those teams and, you know, we were there, but the traffic getting out of that place, like, I don't know if you're familiar with the Bay Area at all, but the traffic yeah. in the Bay Area yes. is a nightmare. So anything yeah. we could do to eliminate traffic, my dad would do it. And my dad has worked my whole life, still works to this day. Um, and he's always been an early riser. So like, again, like as a kid, I didn't really get it. Now I get it. I'm like, yeah, man, like you get up at like five, that sucks. Uh, <laughs> so he always wanted to leave the games early. And so we were about to leave that game and that home run happened in the ninth inning. And it was, I believe it was a two nothing game as you two nothing or three to one. And we were about to leave. And I remember we stopped up on the concourse and dad was like, wait, bonds is about to hit. And so we got to see that at bat, which like he, I think it was like 101 on the hands and bonds pulled it down in the water. Yeah. And then I think he threw him a change up and he pulled that down in the water. And then he comes 99, like, and bonds hits yeah. it out right center which for people that aren't familiar with that ballpark is like 400 deep that is deep so, yeah i mean that was that was i had a, there was a bunch of guys that i i idolized like more random ones would be like jt snow i really like jt snow I mean, yeah yeah um but bonds i mean it's it's hard to hard to argue against bonds yeah i mean i i have watched that at bat on like i mean on like facebook like instagram <laughs> probably at least 40 times so it's like that one, it, it's that, there's a couple from when I was a Giants fan. There's that one, the Travis Ishikawa home run, yeah. um, I believe it was against the Cardinals in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And then now that I'm an Indians guy, um, the, the Rajay Davis home run in the, in the World Series against the Cubs, <laughs> like well, that, those well, are like my favorite ones to watch on loop. Well, I'm a, uh, I'm a Cubs fan. Oh. <laughs> Die hard. I mean, I, here, hold, I'll even... I don't think I'll show it too much, but I have have my Cubs oh, tattoo. Yep, my yep. no, my World Series one. Since, there you uh, go, Raj Raj Rajay Davis, pretty much, uh, single handedly made me almost like shit my pants. It was yeah, that was, and I'm I'm hoping to hoping to help <laughs> the city of Cleveland get back and and redeem that the wounds from that one. I know that was a tough one for, and those are yeah. both franchises that were you yeah. know. I mean, someone was going to be heartbroken no matter what. And yeah. hopefully next time it, it comes out in our favor. So at the end of, I mean, I think going into game seven, I, I mean, of course, like I wanted the Cubs to win, but it was just like, it was an unreal series. So I was like, you know what, whoever wins it's, I mean, yeah. that's that how was, it goes. That was a great world series. No. Yeah. No, I specifically remember the Rajay Davis hit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that like legit, that was, that was probably almost like teary eyed, like shit. Here we go again. Yeah. No, it, it's, I mean, Indians, I mean, you guys got some young guys, great talent. Yeah. And we, we have a really exciting farm system right now. Um, some guys that I'm, I'm really excited to, to get back to work and, um, like I said, just, just help in any way that I can, um, really with some of those guys, it's more like staying out of their way and thinking, you kind of making sure they have what they need. Uh, but yeah, for sure. It really, really exciting. Um, 
and just kind of excited to be part of that process and, and mm -hmm. see that maturation of guys getting to kind of live out their dream and, and, you know, playing any role that I can in that. Yeah. So I guess like that, that kind of like reminds me. So, uh, in, so in 2018, I moved down to uh, South Florida, like for the year. And then, uh, I actually bought season tickets like the Marlins. And then like, like the week that I bought season tickets, they traded away everyone. It was yep. just like, here's an all-star, here's an all-star, here's an all-star. And then like all the fans were like, okay, well now the Marlins suck again. But then like, they got a lot of young guys, a lot of talented players. Yeah. And I mean, like, the fans down there, like they, I mean, they had no idea like what was happening, but like, like me, like being a baseball guy and like understanding that I'm like, there's a lot of talent and it was it was really cool to watch like the young guys like come out and play against like the big teams and just give a hundred, like a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, everybody's a no it's awesome name to watch them. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, even, even like Mike Trout, he was a no name guy at one point. I mean, granted his no name phase ended when he was like 13 probably, but <laughs> That is true. Well, I mean, he, he, I think he had drafted like, well, I mean, it was still first round, but it was like 30th pick. And then if you look at the names like before him, it was just, it's, it's I mean, it's it weird. Projecting out talent's really, really difficult. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially, let's say, like for your side, like for being like a player development, do, do you think it's, say, because you kind of like said it earlier, like it's kind of like, because they are all professional athletes and they are talented i mean obviously so you said that it's more of like you're just giving them like what they need to succeed is that more of like what pl player development is yeah i think it's it's kind of a it's kind of a balance, right? So like, obviously they're all professionals and that commands a certain level of respect. They've earned that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you don't come in and, and just impose your will. I think the biggest thing is you have to look at it through like an individual lens, right? So like yeah. when I look at my roster, for example, like there's going to be some guys that really need some like swing development, right? Like there's some things going on um, in terms of their movement pattern that that is going to be, an issue at this level that something they maybe got away with in high school or, you know, wherever they came from, they maybe mm -hmm. got away with it because they were supremely talented or, or had elite perceptional skills, things like that. Um, and then you look, look at some other guys and, and they maybe already display elite movement patterns and maybe they need some help understanding the more tactical side of what we do and understanding how to work in a bat like a professional. Um, and, and I think the thing is like, again, and I hit on it earlier, I think part of, being able to do any of that number one you have to identify what the individual needs and cater to that but i think most importantly even before that is is you have to build that trust like mm -hmm. i'll spend a lot of time early in a season with a new group of players like just kind of like joking around with them and, and really trying to build a relationship because again i don't think and I think this is true of most anything that the people that you're more inclined to listen to and take advice from are the people that you think are looking out for your best interest, right? Like people for don't sure. care, people, people don't care what you have to say until they believe that you care about them. Essentially, I think would be the message. So, sure. um, you know, when I look at player development, I, I think what we're dealing with is 
how can we get them from they're already in an elite category of just being professional baseball players like what's going to push that individual over the top like what it's makes like the them, small little like the tweaks for sure all add up it, it, it's a much different approach than um working with a group of middle school kids or high school kids that that need um a ton of like technical development and skill acquisition like with our guys it again it, it's a lot of fine tuning um but again it, it's super individual like it, it's it's impossible to throw a blanket over everyone or cookie cut one program for everyone so again as a coach that that becomes your job to figure out where and how to spend your time with each guy yeah see i mean like there's i mean so like i'm saying the minors you got hitting pitching you got everything and then you got all like the small small coaches just fine-tuning it all yeah it's it's a pretty cool operation to see um and i know like I can't speak for other organizations, mm -hmm. but I know like within our culture, um, like collaboration is a big deal. Like you hear that from my bosses all the time. Like James Harris is our director of player development and, and Alex Eckelman's our director of hitting. And, you know, I could say the same for directors of all our different departments. Like that's a huge thing um, that we spend a ton of time talking about. And that we emphasize that organization is, is leaning into each other. Um, so I can say like with, with my coworkers, we, you know, we all speak pretty frequently, right? And we'll yeah. bounce ideas off of each other, um, which I think is kind of cool because it, it's it's different than the college side to a certain extent. Like, for example, if you're the hitting coach at a college, like, and the boss wants an answer on something hitting, I mean, you can maybe call one of your buddies if you want to, but the buck kind of stops with you, right? Yep. Whereas in my spot, if if I'm kind of stuck on something, for example, in Arizona, like I'll have another hitting coach with me at that level, just because at the academy level, we have so many players. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I could also call our low A hitting coach or our high A hitting coach and like, hey, man, what do you think? Or like, have you worked with this guy before? Or have you done this before? Um, so that's kind of cool. Like, like I said, it's just kind of a cool operation to see like working because everyone's yeah. working together. And, um, it, and again, that sounds like fine tuned machine. We try. Yeah, we try. <laughs> We try. We make mistakes just like everybody else, but yeah. but yeah, I think we do a good job in that in that regard for sure. Yeah, because you guys are you guys are human, and you guys just have badass jobs. Yeah, and I, I think that's part of like what's important about being a, a coach is like showing some of that transparency and vulnerability, yep. even with your players. Like, if I make a mistake, like I think it's important that they know, right? Like, yeah. I don't think it does anyone any good if I try and um, cover it up and, and make excuses or blame it on them, deflect it, right? Like, it's all part of it. Like, we're all we're all pulling on the same end of the rope. Like, we're all trying yeah. to get to the same spot, right? So I think that's where that comes from. So, so how did you get involved like, with Indians? Yeah, um, <laughs> great question as well. So I uh, I spent my two years – um, at Arkansas State, like we talked about earlier, I, I originally was brought in to do the infield stuff. Like I said, I kind of had like a small hand in the hitting to begin with. And then I, I think I kind of gained the trust of my boss. And I was really fortunate. Uh, Coach Raffo trusted me maybe more than he probably should have at the time. <laughs> I'm, I'm super, super great. And I tell him that every time I see him, I'm super grateful for him. Um, he eventually kind of turned over the majority of, of the responsibility to the hitters with me. And, and it was me and uh, Rick Warner, who I mentioned earlier, who, again, is a good friend of mine. And 
Uh, Rick had a background in, in coaching hitting, and he was kind of my mentor on the hitting side, uh, really helped me a lot early in my career. But he is an excellent, excellent, excellent recruiter. And with that comes a lot of time on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when you get a new staff in and you're trying to uh, flip a roster over. A lot of time on the road, seeing a lot of guys. So he just physically wasn't able to be there all the time. So that kind of just landed me in that role by default. Um, we, we ran the hitting together, but, um, you know, they trusted me as a, as a young volunteer to kind of run it by myself on the days he wasn't there. And that included some game days. Um, so I got a lot of experience doing that. And, you know, so fast forward to the next year, we always had home and homes with Missouri state. Um, one of my really good friends, Joe Lincoln, who coached me at Austin P then went over to Missouri state later. Um, and so, you know, it was always kind of fun. We played them. I'd always get to see him and we go to dinner or whatever afterwards. But, um, the year that I got put into a more front and center role as, as the hitting coach, we, they came to us. I, I don't remember exactly what it was. We played a weekend series actually that year. Uh, we scored a lot. Like we scored, <laughs> <laughs> we scored like 40 something runs um, that weekend. That's a great weekend right there. Yeah, no, we had a good weekend. And, and <laughs> the guy, I give my guys a ton of credit. Like they were, they were ready for that weekend. Um, you know, we put out a scouting report and a plan and, and they executed it that weekend to uh, like a coach's dream, right? Like you watch yeah. film and, you know, you, you give them stuff on different pitchers and you're like, I think we can attack them this way and this way. And they just did it. Like they came out and they just absolutely freaking dominated. And it was really fun to watch. Um, and, and so I think that kind of got my, my name on the map with Missouri state. Um, so ultimately after that season, Missouri state called me, Missouri state's head coach, Keith Gutton called me at the end of the year and, um, they were looking to bring in a new volunteer and, and they, like I said, each, all volunteer roles aren't created equal in terms of finances. And they were able to improve my situation a little bit there. And um, so I decided that that was the best thing for me. Um, I was really excited. Missouri State's a perennial mid-major power. Uh, they've been at the College World Series. They've hosted Super Regionals. Keith Gutton is a future Hall of Famer. Uh, Paul Evans, his pitching coach, also a future Hall of Famer, Matt Lawson. Um, the hitting coach, the recruiting coordinator, said they brought me in to, to help Matt with the hitters. Uh, Matt was the hitting coach at that time, still is. Um, super, super hard worker, good dude. Loved my time over there. Um, and I was pumped to be there. I was going to be the assistant hitting coach. Um, and then they got a huge staff over there, which is great. Like, there's only four of us doing everything at Arkansas State. We had uh, Aaron Meyer was helping. He was a GA with the infielders and the hitters as well. Nick Petrie was a GA, GA at that time, um, helping with the pitchers. We had Garrett Boyum. Everyone Brady has Tyson. like two jobs. Yeah, dude. It's like <laughs> all, all of a sudden, like I'm showing up to work. I'm like, wait, you mean I just have to do the hitting stuff? I don't have to like drag the field and run the camps. <laughs> like, this is great. Uh, so, you know, <laughs> I love my time over there. And then it was not, oh man, it was like, a week before I was supposed to move down there is when I, when I found out I had gotten sick. Um, and that kind of flipped my mindset a little bit, just cause in the volunteer role, you're not on full-time benefits. Um, yeah. and so at that point I started kind of exploring pro jobs a little bit, just cause I knew that, um, you know, I, I, I could get some health benefits truthfully yep. was a huge part of it. And, you know, I, I think the Indians to a degree understood that. Not that I didn't want to work in pro ball. I, I don't mean to make it sound like that, but I think that the need for health benefits was kind of what 
initially pushed me in that direction. Um, so I started looking. Um, <laughs> I, I actually originally interviewed with another team, which I won't share um, live on the air. But yep. um, funny enough, I, I called Joel Mangrum, who I mentioned earlier, who currently is a pitching coordinator with us with the Indians. And I said, hey, man, like, I landed this job interview. I got to go down to, you know, blah, 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 city. What do I wear? Like, I'm like a kid, like, <laughs> like a kid. I'm like, what do I, like, do I wear a suit? Like, how old were you? I was uh, 27, so I wasn't actually a kid. Like, okay, well, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm 26. Okay. Well, so, I mean, like, if I, <laughs> I would not know what the hell to wear. I'm like do I wear a tuxedo? Like, I, I don't know what to wear. And, and so Joel, I would have wore a tuxedo. I mean, that's right. <laughs> in, in typical Joel fashion, who, again, someone that I'm super grateful for and someone who's opened a ton of doors for me did not answer my question. He goes, are you willing to come to pro ball? And I'm like, Joel, like, what do I wear? <laughs> he's like, no, are you willing to leave? And I'm like, yes, I, I I'm willing to leave. And he's like, all right, I'll call you back. So like, I, I didn't even know at the time when I called him, but the Indians were looking for a hitting coach as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so he kind of like threw my name in the hat with them, um, had the hitting coordinators at the time. We had two hitting coordinators at the time, Pete and Kevin. Um, they've, they've both since moved on to, to other opportunities. Um, they both called me, Alex Eckelman, my current boss, um, director of hitting for us called me and kind of got the interview process started. Um, and, and that's just kind of how it went. And uh, I took the job around Christmas time in 2019 um, while I was, you know, in the middle of all my, like I said, my, my health stuff. And, mm. um, and I think the one more thing I would add before we transition to, to that part and, and yeah. Keith Gutton, I, I called coach Gutton um, right after I got diagnosed and just told him what was going on. Um, I, I just, I didn't really know what to say. Cause like I said, like I, I know what that job commands from a time standpoint. And I, I didn't really know what to expect at that point. Cause I hadn't started treatment yet. Um, but I knew that it was potentially going to take a lot, right. Whether that be time or just be draining. And I called him and, and I just said, look, I respect this position. I have a ton of respect for the program that you've built. I don't think that I can physically be the guy that you thought you were getting. Like, if you need to move on, I totally understand it. And I truly meant that. Like, yeah. cause again, I, I take what I do really seriously. And I mean, that takes a lot. I mean, like from you saying that, like, I mean, I mean, cause you had that opportunity, but like, it's, it's hard to take a step back. I mean, like, yeah. at like at this age and realize, Hey, like, this is what's best for me at this time. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> Again, like I'm, I'm so grateful for so many people, but um, those guys over at Missouri State, I mean, he didn't, he did not flinch. Like he was yeah. like, what, he's like, what are you crazy? Like we're not going to turn our backs on you now. Um, he said, whatever you need, we'll, we'll take care of you. And and they did. Like I mean, I was at that time, I was getting treatment every three weeks throughout the fall. So I was commuting from Springfield, Missouri to Nashville, Tennessee, where, where my oncologist was, which mm. I don't know how, <laughs> how familiar people are with geography, but that's, that's not a short commute. Nope. Um, and I would, I would miss days at a time sometimes. Um, and again, never batted an eye. And then, so, you know, when I got the opportunity with the Indians, I, he was excited for me. And I'm again, just super grateful for him. And, 
there will not be a person. Well, I shouldn't say there won't be a person, but I will be up there with the people that are the most happy for that guy when he goes into the college baseball hall of fame, which he will. Um, and again, and I would say the same thing about Paul Evans and Matt Lawson and, and the rest of that staff, just the way that they accommodated and the way people picked up the slack for me when I wasn't physically able to be there because I had things that I had to take care of. Um, just super grateful. And, and they were super happy for me when I got this opportunity and I still stay in touch with those guys. And um, so it's always a conflict of interest for me when uh, Arkansas State and Missouri State play every year. Now it's like, I try not to watch. I try and just like bury my head in the pillow and 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 not watch. But uh, but yeah, just just super grateful for those guys. Just really, I've, I've been really fortunate. I've worked with and around and for just outstanding people. And that continues today with the Indians as well. But um, just really, really fortunate. See, it's, it's, it's awesome to have a great baseball family. I mean, everyone, everyone watches over everyone. And it's, I mean, like everyone's closer than you think. Yeah, it's really cool. And, and I think uh, I'm really close with my, my blood family as well. And they've, mm -hmm. they've been super supportive throughout my entire career. My, my brothers, Patrick and Dominic and my parents, um, they've been so supportive through my playing career um they've they've seen me through some dark times they've seen me at some really really high times really exciting times um you know to have their support is really important and then you know going through some of that stuff with my health and being away from them it, it meant that much more to have people around yeah. me um, and, and you know i should mention too like i said joe lincoln was a coach there um when i came over like that dude let me live in his house when i was sick right like he was literally taking care of me, like literally put a roof over my head, um, helped me get the things that I need. Joe and Katie, like, and their boys, like they kind of welcomed me into their family um, during that time. And, and that's the stuff that's really cool, man. Like, yep. you know, I, I tell my players all the time, like people tell you that you, you know, the memories fade and you'll forget about the wins and the losses. And like, I don't think that's true. Like I, I love to compete, right? Like I still remember the wins and the losses and, but there is something to certainly be said for the relationships. Like mm -hmm. that to me is, is what I treasure the most. Like I have rings and stuff like that and that's all great. And I want more, don't get me wrong, but um, you know, those, 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 are just, adult. those are just like objects. Those aren't, I mean, I mean, I mean, like, yeah, like the stories like behind them, like, are like within you but like the re the re relationships that you have with people that i mean that's a lot deeper and then goes further for sure so i'm super grateful super grateful for that um and like i said i just i'm really really grateful for the people at arkansas state and missouri state that that kind of took care of me during that transition and, and during that time when i wasn't really sure what was going on yeah it's baseball family it all ties in. Yep, for sure. So I have one more question before we start to wrap it up. Have you done your March Madness bracket? <laughs> uh, I have not. Um, you know, I, I, I don't mean to offend anyone. I'm, <laughs> I'm much more of a football guy than a basketball guy when it comes to sports. Um, outside of baseball, I I don't watch a ton of college basketball. Um, so if I did fill out a bracket, it would be pure speculation and guessing. I'd be filling it out. That's what I do. I yeah. Just... So like, well, I mean, that's the funny thing. Like even people that are like experts, sometimes that's kind of what it feels like. So 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so no, no, I have not. And I went to, you know, I went to a, a mid-major college too. So I think, you know, had I gone to Kansas University or Duke or something like that, it might be different. But yeah. uh, no, I'm much more of a football guy. Yeah. It, I mean, I'd say like, like for me, I mean, personally, I would rather watch college sports than like professional sports. Or I guess like, like, I make the big three sports. Sure. But it's like, I feel like the March Madness, everyone has to, everyone has to at least have one team. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's exciting. I'll watch it. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly not going to place any wagers on it because I have <laughs> did, no clue. Did you, play, did you play um, uh, any other sports like growing up? Yeah, I did. So I actually, I played, um, when I was really young, I, I tried just about everything. Um, yep. I played soccer when I was young. I actually did swim team one year. I have some pretty embarrassing pictures of me in a Speedo. <laughs> um, uh, I played basketball up until high school. And then I played football in high school as well as baseball. I look back and I kind of wish I actually did swim during high school because I was right before baseball season. Yeah. And that would have probably helped out my arm and my whole body. It's that's in a general. that's a it, yeah, you might be right about that because I like I wonder if I did all that and actually took care of my arm more. It's it, see, it's <laughs> it's all the things that just, like you think back and you're like, what if, what if, but then again, everything happens for a reason, no doubt. And then, but hey, so let's wrap it up a little bit. So, what would you say to a Let's see, a minor league player who is in a bad slump right now, third year playing, and hasn't had that hasn't had that breakout year. What would you say to him right now? Yeah, I mean, I I think part of it goes back to what we talked about earlier, and, and just staying in your shoes and and controlling what you control. I think. Um, you know, if you think about stuff like compound effects, that's, that's kind of what I think of when I think of a slump. Um, part of that is, is, you know, our inability sometimes as athletes in the heat of the moment to see past what's right in front of our face. Right. And like, we allow those bad at bats to start stacking up. So, um, you know, and that's part of, I think what separates, um, elite players. And, and like I said, like, all the guys that I get now are, are elite players, but like what's going to push them over the top. Right. And, and so much of that is, is how they deal with things like that. Like guys can shorten the cycle, right? Like don't turn an O for six into an O for 25, like be where your feet are, compete in this next at bat, um, continue to prepare the way you prepare. I think one of the things that I see with young hitters particularly is if they have a bad game, they change their routine. And I'm like, why? Yep. Like, we spent all this time figuring out what's a good routine for you. Now, like if there's an actual reason to change your routine, I'm not saying your routine has to be the same from the first day you go to rookie ball to the day you stop playing. Like that's not a great strategy either, but like you have to have a reason other than I'm over six. Like yeah. if it's I'm over six because I'm doing this, this and this, and I want to change my routine. Then like that makes more sense. Like it's all about that. Why? Um, but I think it comes back to that and just being in the moment and it really comes down to competing, man. Like if you can figure out a way to compete every pitch, um, and compartmentalize certain things like that, it kind of helps to shorten that cycle. And that's a hard thing to get 
particularly young players to understand. Um, but it, it's so important. And it's so much easier for me to say that now, like sitting in the chair as a coach than it is as a hitter. Um, but I think that's important too. And that's maybe part of what advice I would give to a new coach is like, remove yourself and try and put yourself back in their shoes and like, remember what that's like. Cause like as a coach, like I know you've gone over 20 because that's why you're not playing anymore. Like I started going over 20 all the time at the end of my career and that's why I stopped playing. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. Big thank you to Craig Masoni. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I guarantee you, he will be on Loaded Bases podcast once again. So this wraps up the first episode of Loaded Bases, the real with the rebrand. I'm so very excited for more stuff to come. Everyone just sit back and enjoy all the shows. 